There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. This week's guest is Kayla Shannon. Kayla Shannon is a licensed professional counselor, founder of a clothing line, and author of Don't Just Sit There, A How Not To, and How To Guide for Counselors and Therapists. Kayla Shannon, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thank you so much, Chris. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. So Kayla, my introduction certainly does not do justice to you or your career. Could you just take a few minutes to share your story, where'd you grow up, and why did you choose the career path that you did? Sure. Um, I'm actually from Ashtabula, Ohio, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in Meville, Pennsylvania. Um, I've always had a passion for mental health, and I believe it started when I was in seventh grade. I had my first experience with having my own therapist. My family was going through some changes and learning the importance of mental health. And I just remember just spending time with, with that therapist and thinking, wow, this is her job. She holds space for people every day. Um, she clearly enjoyed her job and she made such a great difference in my life. So I just knew, you know, that was going to be my passion. You knew at that early age. Yeah. Yeah. It was That's, very, yeah. It was your calling. That's great. Mm -hmm. So t tell our listeners, what do licensed professional counselors do exactly? And how is your work different from people in the same field, such as a licensed professional clinical counselor? So um, licensed professional counselors in the state of Pennsylvania, that's actually the higher licensure for counselors, and they're able to go out on their own and have their own practices, which is what I do, and just kind of pick their own population of people that they're comfortable working with in their own topics. Um, some other licensed professional counselors, they may work in, in like um, the VA setting or the hospital setting and provide care through there as well, um, which is very important work. So I have my own private practice and it's it'll be 10 years this year. I absolutely love the clients that I work with and they inspire me every day, which was a big part of the clothing line in the book, which we'll get to um, to just give you so licensed professional clinical counselor that that's actually used in other states. Um, Ohio has that designation um, for the higher level. So LPC in Ohio is the first level. LPCC is the higher level, which is comparable to what I have in Pennsylvania, which is the LPC. Got it. Thank you. And I forgot to ask you when you mentioned you're from Ohio, but you're in Pennsylvania now. Were you a Bengals fan over the weekend? Are you a Steelers <laughs> fan? My fans, so, my listeners know I'm a big football fan, so I had to ask. I just got I just support everybody. And, you know, a lot of my practice I do on the weekends because that's when people could use scene. So over the years, I haven't done a whole lot of sports, you know, watching, um, but I love what I do. So I don't mind, you know, being in the office on the weekends. Fair enough. So you're on the front lines of mental health and wellness. What's happening out there, both in terms of what concerns you and the bright spots you may be seeing that give you reason for optimism? So let's start with the bright spots, because that's what I like to do as a counselor. Right now, and, and during the past couple years, really, I think a lot of people have 
invested more in their mental health than ever before. We're seeing a, a large surge in utilization of mental health services. Um, a large part of that is people saying, you know what, am I happy with what I'm doing? You know, their industry has been disrupted and they're saying, what would I really like to be doing? And they're coming to mental health counselors to have those conversations and that exploration in a safe place. So that's a bright spot that's happening. Um, so some of the harder spots right now are people have been obviously in, in the house more and families that have had, um, you know, mental abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, any of those kinds of things that has been cranked up a bit because of the stress. So that's been harder. And some of those people who don't have access to counselors outside of the home, it's hard for them to have even telemed visits because they're in home with the people that may be causing them, you know, the abuse. So, so those are kind of some of the harder spots right now that are going on. You know, the show started early on uh, in COVID in the fall of 2020, and it's based on empowerment, well-being, and leadership through adversity, but mm -hmm. it's taken a natural migration, I guess I'll call it, to, to more of a focus on the mental health space because of COVID. You know, you mm -hmm. just highlighted a lot of different things that we're unfortunately seeing more of in terms of physical, physical abuse, mental abuse, alcohol abuse, and addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've been saying for months, if not over a year now, that you know, we seem to be coming out of COVID 2.0 or 3.0 right now, wherever we are. But what's your sense on, I've been calling it a tsunami. Is there going to be a mental health tsunami once we get back to whatever that new norm is, where we don't have to wear a mask, we don't have to take a, uh, a test every time we go see friends or family? Mm -hmm. There's definitely going to be a huge adjustment period, and that's going to look different for everyone. You know, someone who has had like a history of anxiety or maybe even OCD, they may have a harder time, you know, readjusting back with good understanding. You know, we've all been through so much over the last couple of years. Um, but I truly think if people have access to help and support and we ease back in or, or we create new ways of doing things, that adjustment will be made easier. Well, we're very thankful and appreciative of having, you know, people in the front lines like yourself out there helping us get through this because, you know, like you said, there's so many different challenges out there that's, you know, step-by-step day-by-day right now. And so, you know, again, thank you for the work that you do. What are some of the biggest challenges that families are facing these days? Hmm. You know, I think that um, like income, you know, some people have income stressors throughout this, this uh, pandemic, you know, so anytime there's an increase in stress, whether it be a financial or a big change, um, families struggle, you know, so if they were already having challenges communicating, that's been cranked up a bit you know, and, and understanding how another person, person is feeling, we have to be pretty connected and pretty good at understanding ourselves before we can understand our family members and the other people we're interacting with. So, so that's posed a challenge for sure. And are those same stressors the same for couples or are their challenges different because there are fewer family dynamics involved? think, you know, I think it depends on, on the, the person or the family, right. You know, like one couple may have, have an easier time, you know, and they may be, that all has to do with how well each person is in the family. If it's a couple and they're both pretty healthy, they can navigate it. They can grow stronger through this together. Um, the outcome might be a little bit more simple, 
you know. Um, but I've also seen some families that they embrace adversity and they really do well and everybody's rowing in the boat you know everybody's like putting in the effort so I get to see a lot of that which is great um but yeah I think it just depends on on the family and how well each person is individually and it seems like we've been talking forever at this point as I mentioned COVID 2.0 3.0 wherever we are and its impact on Americans collective and individual mental health let's talk about that impact how did the pandemic change the mental health of the people you see? So it's, I mean, it, it definitely increased anxiety. You know, someone who really didn't have an experience with anxiety before the pandemic delivered it on a platter. So um, it, it increased anxiety and, and people had never had it. Um, as far as how it changed the mental health field, we are now able to deliver therapy and counseling, um, you know, through the phone, right? And that was not uh, accepted modality before. And now we're encouraged to do that. And, you know, we're, we're being asked to do that, which is a great way to service the community. And I know it's difficult to make generalizations, but as the pandemic eventually fades away, do you expect the mental health issues that it created will also fade away or will its negative effects linger for a while? that they will linger for a while, but I'm hoping that the conversation about mental health and hopefully we are decreasing stigma, it's almost like we're increasing the awareness about mental health, the importance about mental health. And even though maybe mental health symptoms have increased, so has resources and support, you know, so hopefully those two things will balance each other out. I'm hoping that people have invested more in their mental health during the pandemic and that stays an important part of their lives, right? Not just something that we do whenever we're going through a major pandemic or a problem, but something that people regularly do. Like we regularly go to our physical health appointments, right? So why not, you know, regularly check in with ourselves on the inside? You know, that's a great point. I've been talking to some people and you look back in terms of things that we've, we've learned over history over time as, as people, you know, we learned that too much uh, alcohol and tobacco is not good for you. Uh, in the eighties, we learned that exercise is good for you and you make it part of your regular routine. And to your point, hopefully now mental health exercise, exercising your brain, brain health uh, becomes part of your normal routine. And so um, I totally agree with you. And I've been saying that I think the one positive thing about COVID is that it's put a, a big spotlight in the mental health space, but to mm -hmm. your point, in a very, very positive way. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope, I agree with you. I hope people follow your, your approach there. And did the, well, you actually just mentioned this, did the pandemic change your approach beyond the Zoom call? Like how you would talk to your patients? Well, uh, my, there's been a lot of things that I've added, like during the time of the pandemic to treatment or offered or encouraged. Um, so now we have Zooms, but we can also Zoom as a group. You know, you can have groups of people who are all experienced, maybe a setback with their job. And so now you can Zoom and do that in a safe way, which is something, you know, we really hadn't done a whole lot of before. Um, and then it's obviously like it's affected our happiness. Like what makes us happy? Does our job make us happy? So I've incorporated so much more of who are you really? And what would make you happy in terms of your career? There's more 
let's talk about what brings you joy and are, are there different things we need to align and that we actually have the time to put in place right now with the pandemic. Um, so pulling a lot more of that into the conversation. I was reading an article over the weekend about relationships that focused on the collapse of a friendship. The author noted that, and I quote, our culture lacks the proper script for ending friendships. We have no rituals to observe, no paperwork to do, no boilerplate dialogue to crib from. You work almost every day with people who are struggling with relationships. Let's talk about ending relationships and their potential effects on us. When is it healthy to end a relationship? So I actually talk about this a lot with people regularly, probably every day. I think that the people that you surround yourself with every day, whether it's your friends, you know, coworkers, um, obviously partners, it's so important that the people around you are, it's a reciprocal giving in both direction relationship. Um, is the person bringing positive energy into your life? Are you bringing positive energy into this other person's life? Um, if the answer is no, you know, it's not reciprocal. There's not positive energy flowing from both sides. And it seems to be like a consistent thing. Not that they're just struggling for a little bit and, you know, can get back on track. I think it's, it's healthy to make a choice to prioritize your mental health and end a relationship in that case. Are you familiar with who Brene Brown is? Unfortunately, I'm not. Sorry. Okay. So she's amazing. She is a PhD social worker. She's actually huge. Um, she's done so many Ted talks and wonderful books. In one of her books, she talks about, uh, vulnerability and the importance of having just a couple people, you know, one, two or three people in your life that you can be totally open and vulnerable with. And those people should fit on a one inch by one inch little piece of paper that you feel comfortable with. Um, you shouldn't put, you know, 12 acquaintances or value like 12 acquaintances as friends. You should just have a couple people that if you tell them something that's totally vulnerable for you, they can say, wow, I'm really glad you told me that, you know, and just kind of hold space for you and support you. Those are the type of relationships that you want to keep and nurture and hold on to. And the ones that don't make the one, in by, one inch by one inch piece of paper, those are the ones that it's okay to let go of. So then when is it healthy for us to try to preserve a relationship that might be floundering? I think you have to ask yourself, um, what's the value of that relationship for me? You know, over the span of that relationship, what's the value and that's a personal question that each person has to ask themselves, right? And sometimes during the course of a relationship, we've evolved, hopefully. Each person has their own evolution. And, you know, if it makes sense, like, have I evolved past this relationship that it doesn't make sense? You know, it's not a life-giving relationship for me anymore. Um, and, and that would be okay to let go at that time. And the story I'm referencing is the latest issue of The Atlantic focuses in part on envy and how surprisingly little that social science has to say about envy and a friendship. Mm -hmm. But the, the author cites Gore Vidal, who once famously complained, every time a friend succeeds, something inside of me dies. Certainly that same dynamic exists within many family relationships, especially among competitive siblings. Do you find yourself dealing with the negative effects of envy as you work with families and couples? 
And what advice do you offer so that we can celebrate other success rather than feeling envious? I just threw a lot at you. Sorry. No, that's okay. I think it's such an important topic and it comes into the therapy office all of the time. So when there's envy present, the person who's feeling it needs to take a step back and whether it's by themselves or with a counselor, whoever say, where is this coming from within me? Because if that feeling is within you, it's only yours. It's not about that other person. So taking that step back, exploring it, it's usually some insecurity of ours that we, you know, developed along the way, but we can work through it. Truly, when we are whole and complete and feeling good on the inside, we will rejoice when other people have successes because we're feeling good. If we're not feeling good and we're not whole and complete and, and evolving, we're going to be, you know, even, even jealous. Let's like, that's a powerful word. So we just need to take a step back and look at that within ourselves. Oftentimes we're closer to some of our friends than we are to some of our family. In those cases, is the distance between us and our family members harder on us subconsciously than we, we may recognize? Are we better off recognizing that we can't choose our family members and it's healthier to gravitate to people to whom we feel more connected? You know, I think that friends are such a beautiful family of choosing and of choice. So we're born into these families and then we evolve, we evolve, we evolve throughout our lifetime. And we choose friends who kind of have commonalities with us, right? That we connect with in maybe different ways than our family of origin. There's value in family of origin connection, right? Um, that's the kind of the pack that you came from and that, you know, connection there. And there's so much equal important value in our friendships and the people we connect with out of choice. The article noted that politics, even when we share the same beliefs, can be a big under-discussed friendship ender. We've seen that happen more and more in recent years, and people may dread going home for the holidays or fear taking a particular family member on the opposite side of the political spectrum. What have you seen in your practice? You know, have politics become a family divider? Yes. Oh my goodness. They became such a family divider um, over the last couple of years, of course. And what I wanted to say was I get to see a lot of people getting out there in the dating realm, right? Huge. I've never seen as many people before put their political party right front and center of their match.com profile, right? Um, but it, it was, it was such a big divider. So I do think if you're strong, like if you feel very strong about your political beliefs, it is good to put that out front. That way people that you connect with will be similar to you, right? Um, but yeah, that was huge and so interesting over the last couple of years. Um, and then as far as families go, I, I encourage people to, to connect and talk about the things that are not politically, you know, <laughs> and like just enjoy the Thanksgiving turkey and the fact that you're all able to be there if, if people were lucky enough to be together, you know, because of COVID on Thanksgiving. And like, if we can, can we leave politics at home, you know? And for those people you mentioned that put it out there on their match.com profile, do you think they're looking for birds of a feather, similar thought yes. beliefs? Oh, yeah. Yes, they are. And, you know, a lot of the people that I know, you know, they're thinking about 
maybe they already have children and they're thinking about who's going to influence my children as well, or maybe having children and how would we raise them? You know, how would we kind of support and orient them? And hopefully we would be similar in that, which I think is, is important. Some people offer a simple solution to the politics problem. Just don't talk about it with family members who have different opinions, but the underlying tensions, you know, and sometimes even resentment or anger are still there. Mm-hmm. Is there any way we can fix that? Well, it just depends on how, so some people are so rigid about their beliefs and usually, you know, you may see that come up with their political conversation, but that's the aspect of their personality and it goes deeper than just politics. So if you have a person that's extremely rigid, you're not going to change somebody else. You're not going to. So if it's important to you, sure, you try to have that conversation, but if you recognize, you know, I have these beliefs, I'm pretty flexible, but it's not worth the conflict and like damaging the relationship. I really don't see a point in in pushing it or forcing it. You're you're not going to change other people's beliefs. They have to evolve themselves in their own lives. Okay, so let's flip that coin over. What does Mm -hmm. it take to create an emotionally healthy family? Flexibility. Right. So, so you've heard me use the word rigid. So the opposite of rigid, flexible um, parents, you know, whatever that looks like, because we have so many wonderful, beautiful, different types of families out there now. Um, so flexibility amongst adults, flexibility amongst the children in the family, encouraging individual thought processes over the course of having a family, um, you know, not um, just supporting each other, not judging each other. Flexibility. Not judging. That's a big one. Yeah. I've got three kids and two of them are girls. And that's a big thing of the the dinner conversation. I've heard before that that it's difficult for many people to create healthy relationships because we carry more than our own baggage. Mm -hmm. Often our baggage includes that of our parents and whatever problems and challenges they may have had. And those handed down by generations before them. What does it take to unload that baggage? Do we have to reinvent ourselves? And if so, how do we do that? Well, you know, I am a therapist. So like, um, I'm just going to put in a plug for finding a counselor or therapist you connect with. And that might be some, um, someone of similar age, or maybe they have children. And, you know, uh, the, the hope is that you'll find a therapist that has done some of that work on their own baggage because we're all human. And they're able to walk beside you or beside us as you're unpacking that for yourself. If you're a parent, you owe it to yourself and your kids to unpack your baggage and to be a good role model of them doing that during the course of their lifetime too. But also that can be done. So going to therapy isn't the only thing, you know, there's so awesome people out there writing books, writing articles, YouTube, Ted talks, TikTok. Oh my gosh. There's wonderful information on there too. Instagram. We're at a place in our culture where you can grow and evolve in so many ways from so many different platforms. Musicians, they're a big part of our growth too. It's amazing to think that, would you, did you ever think you would say two years ago that you can get mental health treatment from TikTok? I mean, it didn't even exist. No, no. And actually TikTok is something that during the pandemic, I, I like found, you know, actually one of my younger clients told me about it. It's like, you have to go on there, you know? So now I probably have 
of my own, like, gosh, I don't know, maybe 4,000 videos I've made myself on there. <laughs> and I, I have so much fun with it. And so I put out information like regarding mental health and, and things like that. But I also have fun and it's a comedic release. Um, but yeah, I never thought I'd say, hey, go watch, you know, watch this video. But you know what? what's great about it, Chris? People are being vulnerable on there and putting out there how they're unpacking their baggage. And that to somebody else who's wanting to become vulnerable and do that for themselves is invaluable. It's amazing. Yeah, totally agree. And where can our listeners find you on TikTok? So Kayla Ann Self Evolve is my my handle on there. And they're welcome to to, uh, add me and watch my videos. Awesome. We'll be sure to get that in our social media as well. We've been talking to Kayla Shannon, and we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back with Licensed Professional Counselor, clothing line designer and author, Kayla Shannon. I was tempted to say that this segment of the podcast is for therapists and counselors, but the fact is there's plenty of valuable information that the rest of us will glean from it. Your book, Don't Just Sit There, a How Not To and How To Guide for Counselors and Therapists was just released in December. It's described as a blend of therapist and client humor, along with connecting strategies for their condition to use. And it's meant to share what clients appreciate during the therapy process. What prompted you to write the book? 
So there, there is a publisher in the building that I have my office in. It's called Fulton Publishing. And I, I like to do things or try things that then I can say to my clients, hey, you, you, should, you should write your book and go publish it. And here's a way to do it. So oftentimes I find myself saying that. So this was one of those things that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do that. There's a couple books inside of me. Let me go ahead. And, and they're a part of my building here and they're a wonderful company. So that's what prompted that. And then the book itself, um, over the last 10 years, I've had people come to me and say, Okay, so I'm coming to you because my last therapist fell asleep. (laughs) And of course, I'm horrified, right? Because like, if there's one thing we can do for our clients, it's stay awake, right? Um, And of course, so much more, but like, that's like one of the first things. So, uh, you know, we would get a chuckle out of that, the clients and I, and then, you know, start connecting and building our own therapeutic relationship. And I like to ask, you know, what works for them? What doesn't work for them? Let me know during the process what's working and not working so that we can adjust and adapt things as needed. Um, so, So that was really what motivated me to write it. And then I think looking at life with humor and being able to laugh is an important part of mental health. So why not write a book that combines all of those things together and that can be useful? So I'm guessing don't fall asleep with your client in the room is the number one not to do. Yeah. Yep. That's all right. Makes sense. Yeah. So without giving away everything in your book, because we wanted to make sure that people take time to buy it and read it. What are a few important pieces of advice for counselors and therapists that they should do? Um, so be present, right? You know, we live in this society where we're on our phones a lot. We can't help it. You know, it, it we need to be, you know, or our smartwatches and all of those things. So during that hour, be fully present, listen, um, your mind can go all of these different places, but being present is one of the most important things. And how does somebody know when they found the right therapist to, to speak with? You know, are there certain traits they should look for? Or does it just sort of click and you, you get it? There's a match. So usually I will see like, so people will come in body. So body posture, people will come in, you know, very tight and, you know, their shoulders very tight and everything. And you'll almost kind of see uh, just a relaxation, you know, um, Chris, you can see there's a love seat behind me and that's usually where people will sit. So they'll like relax a little bit into the sofa and almost kind of like, like a big sigh. And they'll actually, you know, let out that, that nervous energy or that air. And usually by the end of the first or second time, they'll say, I'm really benefiting from this. I'm feeling better leaving than when I walked in today. And that's huge. And what are some things that you feel strongly that therapists and counselors should not do besides falling asleep? So, so be, be quick to diagnose, you know, it takes time. You have to get to know your, your client before you can really decide what their symptoms, you know, are all adding up to diagnosis is not the most important thing, but sometimes in, in the billing and insurance world, we're kind of nudged into that right away. So take your time spend those first couple of sessions with that person, look at every single person with a brand new set of eyes. No one's story is going to be the same and not one person's experience of even the pandemic is going to be the same. So really listening, observing, and taking your time to understand them. 
as best as possible, don't put your, your biases into the situation, be inquisitive, always keep that inquisitive nature to the process. You mentioned listening being one of the key skills and traits. Mm-hmm. After listening to and working to solve so many other, other people's problems, what do you do to maintain your own mental well-being? I mean, that has to be a heavy burden that you and all counselors carry every day. Do you turn to colleagues? You know, who's the counselor's counselor? So I do a couple things, which you'll enjoy this. I already told you, Chris, about TikTok. And I, if you go on my TikTok, you'll see I'm dancing and singing and doing all kinds of things. But the other thing that you'll see right across the street from my office is a self-defense studio. It's called Valor Combat Academy. And this is of Meadville, Pennsylvania. And uh, the instructor over there, Aaron Diaz, wonderful person. He held a workshop for myself and women that I counsel about a year ago to teach them the basics of self-defense. If someone's coming up to you and you're uncomfortable, how do you handle that with your body posture and with your words and, you know, some ways to preserve yourself. So after workshop about a year ago, I started going over there a couple times a week for individual lessons. And I place that in my work day because it really breaks it up. It gets that physical energy and that stress out. Um, and we laugh and we have fun. And that's so important for my mental health. And for someone who's looking for a good licensed professional counselor, what questions should they ask to make sure that they have the right match and the right counselor therapist for them? Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would ask that person how have you dealt with adversity in your life? How have you evolved in your life or what methods have you done? You don't want to go to someone who's never been through a struggle in their lives and come through it and are able to to talk about it a little bit in an appropriate way. I think it's important that you go to someone who's been to a therapist who like has been on the opposite side of the room at some point. Very important to do that. Um, of course, I think they should go to someone that meets their needs. You know, is do the hours meet their needs? Are they able to get there? If they're not able to get there easily or within their week, that's not going to be something they can consistently continue to do as well. So some of those practical things are really just as important as well. I understand that you also lead workshops. Are those for counselors and therapists or families and individuals or both? So they're, they're, they're for everybody. Um, right now, the workshops that I'm doing, I have a self-love workshop, which that's between like 12 and 15 people that come weekly. Um, and we build self-worth and self-love. And that's been really, really good. Um, in a couple of weeks here, I'm starting a workshop pairing with Valor Combat Academy. And we're going to do an eight-week um, build your self-worth combined with your physical strength. Um, in combining physical and mental health. So that's something that we're doing too. Um, but I'm open to doing it with everybody. And that's the sort of therapist that I am, the counselor that I am. I combine, I have so many people, doctors, nurses, custodians, you name it, counselors, they're all my clients. So everybody is kind of a part of, of it. Well, that's so important to your point, you know, the full spectrum of society and and everybody's dealing with different things now. And so I love that you're able to bring them all together. Do you do these workshops just in your area? Do you travel? Do you invite people from around the country to come see you? 
So anybody can come see me at any time or contact me. Um, so some people will zoom in from different parts of the country. They'll zoom into the workshops. Um, we're going to have someone from New Mexico zooming into the next one, which is exciting to me. So uh, definitely future, I want to do more of that. I have a, a lot of people who are able to come in person that are here locally, and that's wonderful too. And in the future, I'd love to expand to more of a like vacation retreat setting um, and have workshops in that way. Love that idea. Count me in. Yeah. <laughs> and where can people find you if they want to be part of the workshop? How do they contact so, you? They can contact me. Hmm. Well, my, my phone number is the easiest way. And is that able to be linked to the show? Sure. We got social media, also your LinkedIn profile, whatever you'd like. Yeah, we so we can link all of those things. Um, you know, definitely the easiest way is to call honestly or to text me. And then we'll we'll do a Zoom and we'll figure out what that person is interested, what I can offer them and what would make sense for them. Terrific. Thank you. So your book is only your latest venture. You also developed a clothing line, Self Evolver, to promote mental wellness. And that's how you know you and I met. Find an article about that, the business. Share the spark of that venture with us. What was the impetus for that? So <clears throat> it's, it's such an exciting story. I had put a couple t-shirts in the waiting room of my office here just to kind of give back to the clients and encourage them. I was seeing all the growth that they were doing and I wanted to, to give them something. So on t-shirts I had made, they, there were words like one said strength, one said um, courageous, and then one said self-evolver. And over the last 10 years, that had been something that had popped into my mind when seeing how much people were evolving and just kicking butt at you know, rocking their mental health and their goals. So these self-evolver shirts flew off the rack in the waiting room first, gone, done. And so that like, I was like, oh my gosh, they're really, they're really identifying with that. That's great. And it's so important to me that that mental health be something that's a positive that you're proud of. You're proud of your adventure and your journey with your mental health. And I wanted something wearable that people could where, you know, how do you see self-evolver reducing stigma and increasing individual pride? I, I see it as a platform that people will be able to use right now. Uh, people can write in and become ambassadors and their story, their self-evolver story that they're comfortable with writing and putting online is posted on the actual website selfevolver.co along with a picture of themselves and then of course they would get product sent to them that they can then post on their social media um but it's it's a you know it's a place where they can say you know this is my story and i'm proud of it read this i want it to be out there and i want to then wear wear this t-shirt or this hat or whatever that they pick with pride What's your ultimate vision for the business itself? Where do you want to take it? And how long do you think it'll take to get there? So the sky's the limit, you know, like I could see it. I could even see it being something that's like self-evolver vacation retreats, you know, and there's that built into to these retreats and, you, you know, moving your evolution along even more during that trip you take. Um, I, I just, I think the sky's the limit. And I think it's, definitely dictated by people who identify with this brand. You know, what do they want? 
So now that we're talking about it, I, I almost think it's going to be like a group of people that we're going to have conversations about. What should we do next, guys? What do you think would be the next step in decreasing stigma, increasing pride for your mental health? And what do you want that to look like? I want it to be something that's not dictated by me, but you know, it's developed by people who identify with the brand. You have a new book, a clothing line, and a counseling practice. Are you going to consolidate that base this year or do you have other plans? You know, regular listeners and viewers know one of my favorite questions for authors is whether they have another book in the works or at least in their heads. How about mm -hmm. it? So I, I want to write another book. Um, there'll probably be a little bit of humor in it, but it, it's going to be a little more of a, a serious book about codependency. Um, are you familiar with that term? I'm not. We were talking earlier before the show about your LinkedIn post I happened to see this morning. Yeah, please share with our listeners. So, so codependency is something that I'm like proudly recovering from and probably always will be. Uh, it's when you, you prioritize the needs of others over your own. And then that in turn is detrimental, you know, to you and to your health. A lot of people will develop that if they're family of origin, someone had a big mental health problem and the rest of the family orbited around that person or walked on eggshells around that person, or maybe someone in the family had an addiction. So what the kids in that family learn is that they, uh, their needs are put on the side and you need to focus on people with problems. So I've really learned in my life, how to balance, 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 and center. And it's a journey. It's not a destination. It's something that's a continual, um, you know, it's a continual journey. So I want to write a book um, based on that idea and then some ideas and tips and tricks that I've kind of learned along the way and continue to evolve with. And then I want to continue to build self-evolver, continue to focus focus, focus on my private practice because my clients are so important to me and to welcome in. If there's anybody who thinks that I would be a, a good fit for them, I welcome people to Zoom or come, you know, to the office to meet. You work in practice as a professional counselor in Pennsylvania. In many ways, many parts of your state, along with Ohio and West Virginia, have been at the epicenter of the opioid epidemic. When did you begin to notice its impact on families and was there a moment when you said, this is a really big problem? Mm -hmm. So uh, this is kind of, this is sad. When, when I started to get an influx of children, you know, so people under the age of 10 that were coming to me without both parents, you know, that had overdosed, unfortunately, and passed on, or even one of their parents. So that was within the last year, I saw an influx of that, like even more than ever before. Um you know, which is very sad. So we need to support, we need to support the people who are here that have lost people. And then as, as a society, we need to support each other. And, um, you know, as much as we can, it's such a big, broad topic of how, how can we support families, you know, but, but the families need support. Obviously, the person with the struggle, they need monumentous support. It takes everybody. Everybody needs to be able to lend a helping hand in, in any way. Do you think we've turned the corner on the opioid crisis yet? I'm hoping. I think that that we've kind of, so we've increased, hopefully, access to services, and hopefully that will continue to increase. 
Um, and that needs to be holistic services. You know how I talk about self-defense and moving your body and mental health, holistic access to services. Um, I, I know just from meeting with people in the medical profession, you know, we're, we're cutting down on what's prescribed and when and why and giving other, the local hospital here that has the paid management clinic, they have a, a therapist and a wonderful one that works with people prior to prescribing pain medication to see if it's something that can be managed on that level before we go to pain meds. So there, there are things in place that I think it's nearing the direction of helping, you know, that crisis. Fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. How have you found the time to start a business while writing a book, raising young children and counseling families and couples? I'm sure our audience would love to know some of your time management skills and habits. So my, one of my mottos, so I'm a Capricorn. So I was born in January and I'm just like naturally like this, let's do it. Yeah, let's go for it. So I think that's, that's a big part of it. Um, but it takes a village, right? So I have the most amazing babysitter and like, I feel bad even calling her that because she, she's like a family member of ours now that even during the pandemic, she never said that she could not watch my daughter or, or showed fear in, in the face of the pandemic. Of course, you know, we, we took the precautions and to keep everybody safe, um, but that's huge. You know, having child care for parents, whether there's two parents or whether they're single parents, it's vital for those parents to continue to work, let alone go after other endeavors, you know, that they want to. Anything that I've pursued, I've thought to myself first, will this help my daughter? I just have one. She just turned three Saturday. Will this help my daughter? Yes. Self-evolver, decreasing mental health stigma, increasing access to mental health services, teaching other people that self-defense strategies, holistic, all of these things help her. Will writing a book help her? Yes, because maybe someday she'll say, I want to write a book and my mom did it so I can do it. So she's a big motivator. You know, when I left my house this morning, I was like, oh, there's a lot of stuff on the floor. <laughs> but my daughter's happy. I'm happy. You know, sometimes you have to let those things go to do the bigger things. We have just a few minutes left. How can people in our audience find your book and how can they find your clothing line? Okay, so the book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble online. You you type in um, "Don't just sit there," and you can put my name, Kayla Shannon, um, and, and it should pop up for you on both of those. And then the clothing line is selfevolver.co. That's the website, and selfevolver is also on Facebook and Instagram. Self Evolver brand um, would be the Instagram handle there. What advice do you have for audience about how they can feel better and be closer to family and friends this year? So I think the more that they connect with themselves, you know, and, and that might be yoga or meditation, uh, getting enough rest, taking good care of self. So self-care is important. And then that way, when you interact with your family and friends, you know, you're feeling pretty good. Um, it being kind of, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania, right? So the winter is pretty ferocious right now and seasonal depression is kind of at its height. So I want people to know that don't forget that people love you and care about you. And if you are feeling isolated, 
reach out, even if it's just a text to someone. And if you notice that someone in your family or friend group, you haven't heard from them, they're probably struggling a little. So reach out to them. And what can and should we do individually to be more empowered, triumph over adversity and achieve our goals in 2022? It's, it's all about our thinking. If you, if you keep track of your thoughts, you know, where are your thoughts going? Are, are your, are they going in a hopeful, positive direction or are your thoughts, you know, what if this is going to happen or, oh, not this again, you know, and of course, counseling and therapy can help you if you are kind of stuck in that thinking, but as much as possible, possible, be mindful of your thinking, watch it and, and try to channel it in the direction of hope and positivity. Kayla Shannon, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. And as always, thank you to our wonderful audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place with another leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.